What's going on, Pounders? Welcome back. Today we got the non-farm payroll. Meta is launching into threads. Margin trading sketchiness with some of the rates. We got a Pounders thesis pick. And we got investing mindset by Joey, followed by a big earnings next week and a whole lot more. Another episode of Pounding the Table starts in three, two, one. Down 1.7% here, loss of 37 points or so. Apple shares are just getting hammered this morning. We're down by between three and four and a half percent. Wonder why fund managers can't beat the speed which we are watching this market deteriorate. We're red everywhere, essentially down by four, five percent. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 82 of Bounding the Table. Short week with the Fourth of July holidays. Got into some fireworks did a lot of cooking it was quite the time and then i also acquired the hell itch apparently so i got a little bruised up from the sun and thank you joey and all of the followers on twitter that helped me solve that but i don't think you guys care too much about my sunburn so let's hop right into this quick recap from last week we had uipath as the pounders thesis we brought our boy shy back one more time with that short week though the non-farm payroll, I think, was probably the biggest news of the day here. And there was some confusion, right? There's different numbers going on. So, Shy, Joey, why don't you guys kick this off? What was going on? So, the ADP number was a little different than the traditional non-farm payroll, correct? Yeah, the ADP number actually ran really hot on Thursday. So, it caused the market to sell off before market open. Gradually bounced back intraday, but people were concerned that the non-farm payroll would also come in hot. That was not the case. They actually came in at 209, beating the forecast of 225 or coming under it. This was actually the first miss in 15 months for the NFP. So it was kind of a big deal. The lowest number reported since December 2020 and kind of cooled off everyone freaking out about the ADP. But yeah, you're right. There is a huge inverse relationship right now happening with the ADP and NFP. And I don't really know the answer to it, but it's very, very intriguing. Joey, why there's a, such an inverse relationship between ADP and NFP? I find all of the data to be useless for what I do. So I always find it entertaining on these big days, like, you know, the results versus expectations. And then a lot of these, you'll see these massive revisions because I, I just find all of this data so unreliable and it's just not even something that plays into the long-term investing that I'm kind of focused on. But I guess the short-term reaction, of course, I'm like looking at the numbers as to, you know, why people are freaking out the way that they are and why they were surprised and where these jobs are said to be going and where wages are going, as opposed to what I'm actually seeing, you know, from people out there. While I know a lot of people were focusing on these, it's more so, you know, I was in the middle of a workout at the gym. I see the numbers cross and you know, the initial reactions and then I forget yeah. about what's going on and, and, you know, just get back to focusing on what I'm doing. When I was texting you guys this morning, I was also at the gym. We're just like a fit pod. We might turn into a fitness pod, but like, yeah. I was also there and I was confused too because I saw two numbers across the screen and I was texting. I was like, why are these numbers so off? And I had forgotten about the, the ADP numbers as well. As you were saying, Joey, it shouldn't come down 10%. It should come down maybe a couple thousand off, but it should not come down 10%. Couldn't do a podcast without talking about Tesla, Joey. They just added Mercedes-Benz. We've been talking about this the past few weeks. It's just, it's inevitable. They're all going to end up joining. Yeah, I'd love to just keep kind of going back to our podcast three or four weeks ago where we were saying, 
more people got to fall in line with this or start creating alliances with other automakers for another standard. But it seems like everybody's just fallen in line with Tesla and they're going to become, you know, the standard charging and, and all the automakers are just flocking to them right now. So it's, it's great to see as a Tesla shareholder, but you know, I still think this is kind of just the beginning for, for what they're going to be doing on the EV charging infrastructure side. What's your guess though? I mean, does Tesla, is there a monopoly at stake here? As they look, it's like there's one electric plug and Tesla owns all of this, or is this going to be- I wouldn't say that- Unleaded situation. Well, I feel like they are the charging standard, but you're still going to have these other charging networks that, you know, adopts the NACS charger for their actual stations. But I think it's going to be one of those things where Tesla superchargers are going to be seen as like the gold standard and everything else is just kind of like, you know, if you're not close to a Tesla supercharger or, you know, can get to one, then you'll settle for going to one of these others. I was an Android user for years and my biggest thing I hated about being an Android user was losing power. And then every single Uber has an iPhone charger, but they would not have the Android charger. So Silly analogy, but it, it kind of makes sense when you're buying a vehicle. Would you think that you'd maybe, you know, a gas station that has one every 100,000 miles or one that has every, you know? Well, it's, it's the same situation. I have a fantasy baseball group where nine out of 10 managers are in one group chat because it's all iMessage. And then we have a separate one that we never use because that one person turns it into the green text and, it, you know, nobody likes that. So I definitely understand what you mean there. Twitter meta news. We got meta has, what's their new thing called? Squiggles? Threads. Threads. Squiggles? Is that what you said? Yeah, that would be a cool name. <laughs> well, you were going with that 666 conspiracy theory. And as the, the native conspiracy theorist on the podcast, I said, that's even too far for me. Wait, buy okay. squiggles.com on GoDaddy. We buy squiggles right now? I think so, that's a pretty cool app. I'm not a fan, candidly. Uh, I know a lot of people are hopping over just because they like hate Elon Musk. They're like, oh, we're going to go away. But then it, does this become like an echo chamber on both ends? One side's on squiggles <laughs> and threads or and then one side's on Twitter. Like That's annoying, too. I want one. I know. And so what I found cool was, you know, I was immediately on the waiting list and I thought it was cool that you connect it through Instagram because it's almost like an added feature of Instagram rather than a standalone one. So. You quickly port it over all your information. All your friends are kind of there and you can almost see certain people had all of their Instagram followers quickly become like their followers over there. So you see like their networks going mm -hmm. up so quick. Now, I didn't find the app as easy or, you know, like it knew me as well as Twitter does just because, you know, I've used it for so long. But then you see Mark giving his updates where it's yeah 10 million users and 20 million. I think it's at 70 million in the first 24 hours. Yeah. So you can see that the easy way to add your account and it was just very popular and people are coming over quick, but let's see if they actually stick around. We I'm actually going to go against what you just said right there a little on. It was cool connecting with like your Instagram and stuff. I don't want my friends knowing my FinTwit personality or like what I do on that side. That's like my ulcer ego per se. And I just, I find it's like weird combining both worlds into one. And, and I think that's, what's turning me off with threads. Also, I can't search a ticker very easily and see like articles, top insights on a ticker. I think that's a huge ad value in Twitter right now. And 
maybe it'll get there once scaling happens. But as of right now, I am out of threads. Well, so that could be, that could be like a thing that they take where squiggles, aka threads is, you know, essentially like your social version of Twitter, your friends, family, like just to give quick updates while Twitter, Twitter is, you know, like the dumpster fire that it is of FinTwit slash degenerates just, you know, talking back and forth about NFTs and Web3. That I, I would love to, to have that sort of divide because I can't go on Twitter and talk to my friends because that's just not what that's for. I was just talking to a guy on the phone earlier today and I was like, yeah, FinTwit. He's like, what's, what's FinTwit? And I was like, wow, we live in such a bubble that everyone that's, you know, we know is like knows what FinTwit is, but it's just Twitter. So like what other... Twits are there out there? Twit? Is that With a thing? NFTs? I mean, yeah, like the, there's nothing more annoying than crypto Twitter, where they're like just retweeting oh bullshit. Anyways, so as we mentioned, pretty short week overall. Next week, CPI is going to be the biggest news of the week. Any predictions on CPI? We're going to hold you to this, too, these strict prediction given that it's a fake read i'm going to say it's exactly as expected i mean i'm looking for the core cpi to get under five percent or towards that five percent it's been incredibly sticky all year it's been hovering around like the 5.5 5.4 so that's why i'm where my eyes are going but uh, yeah, i mean like like joey said i don't really care about the cpi <laughs> here's my bold prediction and this is three weeks ahead of the meeting is that we'll get our rate hike and then you'll see bullish commentary that they're going to call for two more hikes even after this one because why not isn't hawkish and bullish different though well bullish is like talking stocks in fed speak there's hawkish and dovish dub goes up and hawk goes down out to make the market go lower Hawkish is like you're like, dovish, like, more oh. like aggressive towards meeting the goals. Like you're a hawk. You're just freaking stalking your prey. Where a dove is just kind of like there. You're just a fluffy, you know, like the kitten of no, but- bird fan. So a dovish <laughs> central banker is one who's willing to keep interest rates low in order to stimulate the economy. Hawkish means your central banker, on the other hand, is likely to raise interest rates in order to combat inflation. And you're willing to do that at all costs. Like you're willing to crush the market to do it. So I said it, right? I think you kind of did weirdly. We'll give it to you. What other news, Joe? And you guys see, I sent you Squiggles is a premium domain, $250 minimum offer, 11,000 estimate to buy it. We'd have to spell Squiggles without the U. S-Q-I-G-G-L-E-S. I've been recently getting into options. Check your margins because my margin used to be 6%. Don't live in the margin, number one. And I didn't realize it was. I thought I canceled it. So number one, make sure that you're not on margin if you don't want to be. And then number two, the rates went up crazy, Joey. You said they oh, had yeah. a on us. Yeah, so I've had a lot of friends open accounts and I always tell them, yeah, don't apply for margin. Just go with a cash account because then if you try to spend more than you have, it'll tell you no. And more than a handful have just like automatically had that turned on or maybe they clicked something wrong. I'm not going to, you know, accuse the company of doing it. But yeah, they they essentially had margin trading magically appear. And I remember one specifically because he was sending me like the account balance of his stocks. And I remember how much money he put in. I was like, wow, like your, your account's up. You've tripled your money in like a month. What is happening? 
he unknowingly was just continuing to spend, spend, spend. And it was all on margin. And I was like, holy crap, man, you got to check because at the time, margin rates were like seven, eight percent and he'd be wiped out fairly quick. So one way to do like, you know, find out you can always search in your brokerage accounts, like where margin rates are. And I had negotiated rates down before to where I remember when my margin rate in like 2020 is like 2.16% or something like that. But I'll have like alerts come out like, hey, you know, interest rates have gone up a little bit. So margin rates have gone up. And so like, you know, even with a negotiated rate down, I'm still over 7% right now. But base lending rate at a specific company is over 13%. And if you look at, you know, base lending rates for all the major, major brokerages, they're all in the double digits. So first off, yeah, I wouldn't recommend using margin, especially in a highly volatile market. But second, if you are, make sure you check your rate and just be careful. It's like your credit card is doubling up on you, basically. Oh, yeah. I, I remember when the base lending, it was like closer to five, but that's like when rates are zero. So you can always assume like wherever rates are going, margin rates are probably going to be going there quicker. Just like out of nowhere, we've got savings accounts paying, you know, 4%. Like, yeah, that was nothing before. My friend on Marcus, should we just give my URL out? <laughs> no, I think it's a really good point. I had no idea that I was even back on margin, number one. And number two, the rate just doubling on us. There's going to be a few people that are listening to this right now that will thank us via email. All right. So our favorite part of the show comes up next. We got the Pounder's thesis pick. We brought Shy back because he nailed that first one. Last week's has been flat so far, but I still like UiPath. And this week, drum roll, please. PayPal. So we got PayPal. Y'all picked this. I hate you, Joey. Uh, you guys picked this one. We gave, and let's start doing that, actually. We'll pick like four different stocks, four different companies we want to talk about. And we will let the pounders choose because I think that's the thing to do is the pot of the people. So, Shai, you wrote this up. and We'll be sending this out to our email list. So if you guys don't subscribe, go to poundingthetablepodcast.com and sign up. It is free. So, Shai, you did a write-up on PayPal and you kind of lucked out because this is a Pounders thesis pick, right? They get to choose and they did choose PayPal. So we lucked out here, but you did a whole write-up. Why do you like PayPal right now? Thanks, Avi. So I think PayPal is unfairly labeled as like the dinosaur of fintech now. And that isn't the case. At its core, it's a payments company. It owns several brands, including PayPal, Zoom with an X, my favorite Venmo and Braintree and also Honey. They primarily make their money off a percentage of transactions. So it's really a usage-based model that goes to the ebbs and flows of the economy. And it makes extra money also in terms of foreign exchange, cross-border transfers, and value-added services. At the time of this recording, I think PayPal is at $75 billion, which is kind of wild because I think they went all the way up to $500 billion at its peak. So right now, it's pretty appealing at the price of 6 or $7. And I think their normalized EPS is around $5 for this upcoming year. So definitely a compelling investment opportunity in my views. Joe, you were, you were saying they own like a significant amount of the payments. I think it was like, was it 30% or? Uh, I, I wasn't able to confirm like if that's a legit number. And like, it's such a big one. Shai, have you seen this? So I, I put in like PayPal market share of overall payments market i think it's like 40 percent. it's like no it's the largest 
It's it mass like, 30. I think I saw 36%. And I don't know if like, so this one even says 43% of global market share in the payment sector is by PayPal. Yeah. And I don't know if that's accurate though, but if it is like for a dinosaur to be owning 42% of all payments, market, well, like we're talking $1.6 trillion in total payment volume. That's crazy. Remember when we had Jim McAlvey on from Square? The one thing I asked him, I was like, do you want me to delete this part of the episode? And he's like, no, just do it. But he was talking about, he's like, at any moment, we could just change it a few basis points and we'll make millions and millions of dollars more. So like the payment space is very interesting because it is a kind of a race to the bottom of like who has the lowest. But PayPal with Venmo, that is amongst peers, the most popular by far in terms of like peer-to-peer transfers. But what's interesting now is they're starting to get a lot more into actual B2B. Like I bought something online and just put taking a picture basically of the Venmo and I was able to purchase it like that. So Chad, like talk to Venmo because I, I think that's something that a lot of our listeners will, you know, because I don't I actually don't use PayPal that often, but I use Venmo daily. I mean, I think a lot of people don't know Venmo check checkouts like ramping up a lot of Amazon. It's everywhere. And I think the heartburn that a lot of the investors feel is the low growth that Venmo is doing compared to Square's cash app. Like they think that Venmo is losing share to, in a peer-to-peer payment transfer business, but they have a significant portion. Like PayPal is the most accepted digital wallet in North America. And Venmo, I only use Venmo. I know there's a lot of competition between Apple and Square, but Venmo is here to stay. It's the easiest way to send money in my eyes. I do think that the pressure, sorry. It's a verb now, I think. Like, absolutely. There's an overreaction on Venmo is like lagging and dying. It's not, it's just such a significant market share that it's just consistently high. That's not going lower. It's not going that much higher. It's here to stay. Talk to me about the, the growth stagnation because this dinosaur concept, it scares investors, right? Everyone is looking at this growth and then people forget, right? They, you, you forget about these com- these cash cows that are just like producing money over and over again. And if you look at the max, that's something I do, which is very infantile as an investor, but sometimes I'll go to Google and just PayPal stock, hit that max button. It's one of the stocks that has just not recovered at all since COVID. And the upside here, it's, it's still a very strong brand. I, I want to say we've hit our bottom. I, I try to go against saying things like that. Well, my favorite brand in their portfolio is Braintree. It's their unbranded payment processor that a lot of people don't realize they use, but they actually use. I know some of their customers are Spotify, DoorDash. Uber, Airbnb. Joey sent us a list before the recording. It is significant how many companies are on that list. We all use it. Their issue, though, is Braintree's margins are much lower compared to the higher margin PayPal branded payment processing. So that's going to be a headwind on PayPal's margins going forward. I think Braintree's growing closer to 30%. And I think PayPal's branded checkouts around 7%. So oh, I think this is making Wall Street really nervous about what the future holds for the margins at PayPal. I think that they have the best of both worlds. I mean, PayPal is such a high market share. Brain oh, is growing exactly. 30% a year. I think there's like coverings. Yeah, there's covering so much market share that they're going to be fine. They're not the dinosaurs. They're, I think it's a similar, similar setup as Meta was last year that Joey just nailed. Like 
it's not going to die. It's here to stay. And once the narrative changes, it's going to shoot up very quickly. Joey, let's turn it over to you, though. Like, we're, In terms of like growth, I know we've talked about the CEO and Dev. It seems like he's potentially on his way out. Like, Is that the so, turn you need? Yes. So they are actively looking for a new CEO because the current one is going to be on his way out at the end of the year. And so that's one of the reasons that the stock just, you know, it's been sitting there. You know, they're looking for their new leader. Another thing I like to look back to is, you know, the the decline where, you know, it was a decline in the overall market. One of the big, I guess, starts of their massive decline was they were like, you know, $275 a share and they went to acquire Pinterest and shareholders hated that idea. And I remember the stock tanked. It might've been like 10, 20% that day, just absolutely tanked. And the stock continued its downtrend. They abandoned the deal because shareholders clearly didn't want it. The stock continued to go down. And it just hasn't looked back. You know, we there was some times where people thought it was forming a base and was making a comeback and just kept declining. So Shai was very aggro when it said, you know, this is kind of like the meta situation where it was seen as this like left for dead company. And the reason I, I started circling meta and was accumulating because, you know, like the multiple got so low. So when I'm looking at PayPal now, it's something like, you know, 13 times forward earnings. And this is not some company that is showing negative growth. It's not uh, like in no way is this a dying brand. Yes, it's got this massive market share where it could give up some ground on that, but still be significant. And we don't know how accurate that market share number is because I, you know, I found three different numbers. They were all very impressive, but they were all different. But I love this kind of like, uh, there's a slide on its investor presentation where it shows PayPal delivers results at a massive scale. And it shows their five-year compound annual growth rate. And it's showing active accounts, 14% growth, and 435 million active accounts. And a lot of this is, you know, businesses paying contractors or influencers along with, you know, everything else that they do. Their total payment volume, 24% CAGR. And that's at 1.36 trillion. Their revenues, 16%. So like all these growth rates are in the teens or higher. And you look at their free cash flow sitting at $5.1 billion in 2022. So this is, you know, the market cap's under $75 billion. And you're talking about a company that's doing payment volume, probably going to be like $1.5 trillion this year with free cash flow. It's just a cash machine. Yeah. So, you know, one thing is finding a leader. Another thing is what we were discussing is you know, are they going to use their cash to make an acquisition? Well, shareholders didn't want that in Pinterest. So could they do some smaller deals, you know, go after like a plat or, or something like that? Could they beef up their buyback easily? Could they initiate a dividend? Like, why not? But they, there's so much they could do, but I feel like they're just not going to do anything until they have someone in the driver's seat to kind of like pick that direction. So the big catalyst for the stock, I think, will be when they find that new CEO. And I hope, you know, they've got vast experience across finance, like find some old Visa, MasterCard executive, maybe someone that has some AI experience so they could throw that in the headline. But yeah, I just think this stock is so inexpensive and left for dead when people don't really understand, as Shai was explaining, the unbranded checkout, where it's like, oh, yeah, I never use PayPal at checkout. I like to use Apple Pay or these other options. That whole payment terminal that you could be checking out on could be completely operated by PayPal where they're still getting their cut. You just don't know it. So we talked about a few interesting like fantasy draft. If we put ourselves in the CEO seat and took over Dan Shulman's role, 
Like we talked about either Apple acquiring them or on the opposite end is maybe they acquire Robinhood because they have an amazing UX. If you're Dan Shulman for the day, what would you do here? I would uh, pitch got double down in e-commerce or equities trading. So let me go down the equities trading route. Just imagine the acquisition of Robinhood. Like as a consumer, combining Venmo and PayPal with Robinhood trading and the options UI, that's like a whole centralized all-in-one place that would really accelerate their growth, especially in my eyes, like we're in the beginning of a new bull rally. Like imagine if they front load this with the all-in-one place for investing in Venmo and just get ahead of it. And once more and more retail tra- traders come in, the growth numbers would come on the top line. That's the issue they have right now. Because like you said, like they're in the driver's seat. Like They don't know what to do. They're buying back like 7% of their market cap this year alone because they didn't do something until they get the new leader. So they're in a great place. I think they have a lot of optionality because they have such great balance sheet and income statements and huge cash, especially with the buy now, pay later receivable sale they did this past year, like three years staying. I, I think a lot of companies wish they were in the position that PayPal is in of like having so many different options of increasing their top line. So Joey, what, what do you think they do? I'm looking at the chart again, maxing it out. It kind of looks like they've been just, it's been basing, right? And so it's the market's trying to figure out where this goes. Robinhood could be a very interesting acquisition on the Opposite end, though, do you think PayPal is at this place where they're an acquisition target? So to kind of go back to what Shower's talking, I, you know, we had the same conversation where if PayPal wants to expand what it's doing, like Pinterest was a no for investors, but you know they got into where you're allowed to, you know, have your crypto trading, and that was very successful. So yeah, why not add equities and and purchase a company with this massive? user base already to create that all-in-one super app for finance. I feel like that would be a great vision for them. Now, yeah, if they wanted to go the other route, like who could acquire PayPal? Now, it would have to be a massive company and it'd probably get blocked because it seems like all the big deals are falling under a microscope. It's like the acquisition of all time. I just looked this up. It's at seven. Yeah, so that's the problem is like, I think the perfect acquisition, if they were to be an, if they were to be acquired, would be Apple to make Apple pay like the global number one overnight. And that, I mean, that would be like a match made in heaven. The problem is, I think the biggest deal they've ever done was Beats for like two billion years ago. So like they are not a company that makes big deals. They like to just do it in house. But yeah, you know, if Apple were going to spend a big paycheck, I feel like PayPal would be a no-brainer for them to immediately have that stranglehold on payments, but that likely gets blocked. And I feel like Apple's so big that they've got to make these tiny deals under the radar to even get through. Because if they try to do anything big, you know, it's a $3 trillion company now. So they really can't do much. The GDP of Apple is like, I'm sorry. So like, but I'm just looking at the biggest mergers and acquisitions of all time is Vodafone, AOL and Time Warner, Verizon, Vodafone, Dow Chemical, and DuPont. Like, biggest one was Vodafone at $202 billion, which would make PayPal. I don't think they're going to be just 3X, right? And especially at this price. I'm going to go on record saying I think the Apple thing's off, off the table. I don't think that's going to happen. It's too much. Say Vodafone is the largest acquisition of all time. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Okay. Just did a Google search. So I don't know. If- how accurate Google yeah. is. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's where that's where I'm saying, like, it has to be a huge company that acquires them. But then if you think of the huge companies, you've got like Apple, Google, Amazon, Meta, like those are the ones that have the cash and could do it. But I think they're too big to be acquired. So they've got to go the other route. And and the other thing is, like, as a shareholder of PayPal and everything, I don't want them to be acquired because I feel like so much more upside for the company as a standalone company and like and what they could do from that standpoint. But like you said, like they're going to just continue to buy back shares as they're looking for this new jockey to come in and pick the direction that they want to go. And in the meantime, like the stock is just almost going sideways and I'm constantly looking at it to like add to the position, not knowing what to do because it's it's just one of those that I feel like the downside is so limited while the upside is so significant. And it's one of those risk to reward plays as as I'm like trimming these positions that have been flying th- this year. It's one of those stocks that I could easily park money in. And I was even looking at like Disney and some other, you know, low risk, high upside plays that PayPal absolutely destroyed Disney in every way when I was looking at those metrics. And I think the only other one that I thought was like inexpensive and looked great was like a CBS, but even then, like PayPal is one of those because it's payments and, and everything that they're doing. It's just one of those, even though the stock has been so bad and almost done nothing, I think is like one of those ultimate safety plays in this type of high flying market. So quick question, because I'm now like uh, the dream killer here <laughs> on both these acquisitions are being acquired. PayPal, as of March 31st, according to Google, had $10.6 billion of cash. So how, do, how does an acquisition like that happen for our listeners? Like Robinhood's at $10 billion market cap. They're not going to sell dollar for dollar, right? Well, so it'd be cash in stock. So yeah. deals aren't always cash. And companies can always, you know, almost raise cash via debt offering to do a big deal. Like, you know, there'd be financing lined up to do it. It's not just like, oh, here's your money. So yeah, I'd see it as like 25% cash, 75% stock to do it. But so if it's a cash and stock deal, then you'll almost see like, depending on what they pay for it, you'll see the stock price of Robinhood almost trade in tandem with what PayPal does. So like if PayPal stock tanks and like say the agreed upon price was $15 a share, but a 75% stock and PayPal stock proceeds to fall 20%. That deal will actually close seeming less than 15 per share because like the stock price adjusts. So the the inverse happened. I used to own a company called SendGrid and they got acquired by Twilio. And you know, they got acquired at one price, but then Twilio stock went on to go up like 40%. So my stock is being acquired for X amount in shares, actually just kept surging over what the actual agreed upon price was because shares of Twilio just kept raging on. Then I let those shares convert. Part of it was cash. So like then I just like reinvested in it. But, but yeah, for I guess like a 10,000 foot view, cash in stock. And then the other one almost becomes a trapping stock for the other. If I was a, on the board for Robin, I don't want a cash deal. Like they're still down 80%. Like they, they want to have some kind of long-term strategy on like getting back that 80%. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was like a like a three million dollar cash off for the rest is in stock. Is probably what's what happened. How do we bring the retail traders back? A lot of these retail traders again entered in when we kind of started the podcast in 2020 and they just instantly hit the jackpot lottery every single day. Then they lost a lot of money and 
there's been quite a downfall in volume if you just look overall. Like, does that come back? Is it like Bitcoin having get all the degen gamblers back into the markets? Or wh- what do we do to get the retail folks back? So the problem is like, you know, a lot of the retail traders now, you have like Charlie Munger that's talked about, like, you know, treating it like a casino where a lot of them were in the everything goes up market and they got burned very badly. So I actually remember I was investing, I think I started in March 2009. I remember sometime in like 2011, 2012, like I completely burned out. I got in on the wrong stocks, like I ended up losing a ton of money. And I remember throwing up my hands and I was like, this is dumb. Why am I even doing this? And like walked away from investing for a couple months. Then I came back to it after studying up more. I was like, okay, now I'm more prepared. But you know, a lot of people might have just thrown up their hands and gone to something else. Could have gone all into crypto. Or, you know, what if they shifted that cash over to like NFTs and like lost everything? And now they're building up to then go in or, hey, they weren't having to pay back student loans and now they're about to have to, so they actually need cash to do it. I feel like a lot of it's just going to come with, you know, as people graduate or get into jobs, start coming into it. Like, yeah, the, the retail investor, they could just be licking their wounds. But then the other positive that I see is like the big catalyst for the market going forward where it's been so hot, could we continue to go higher was, you know, there's still like five point something trillion dollars sitting in money market accounts. And I feel like, eventually, you know, like the FOMO sets in, like if this market keeps grinding higher, even in the face of like inflation numbers still being relatively high, the Fed saying that they're going to raise rates two or three more times, like everything's against this market and continues to grind higher. Well, all that money that's sitting in money market accounts, then just FOMO into the market, like, okay, I don't want to miss the next 30%. I missed the first 30%. And then like that slow trickle of money coming in is, you know, supply demand is that it just pushes the market higher. Such a psychological game, the stock market is, huh? It it really is. And that's why like, I just stay fully invested at all times. And it's just a freaking roller coaster at times. You feel like you're the dumbest person in the world. And then you feel like you're the smartest guy in the room. It's just, you know, it, the ups and downs in the market are wild, but like, just try to keep your head. What's the great saying? It's like, if you can keep your head while all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you type thing, like, yeah, even if you make some bad socks, tell your friends and family and like start getting stars, like just, you know, remember why you're doing this it's for the long term. It's not to make money next week yeah. and, and just keep grinding, stay focused on the long term. And, you know, if your short term trading is burning you, it's like maybe change up the strategy and and get more on like the Buffett type mindset. All right, let's get into the earnings for next week. We got Delta, Pepsi and Progressive. And then we got a lot of banks coming up. So we got JP Morgan, City, Wells Fargo, BlackRock, State Street. Forgot United Healthcare is also in there, but not a bank. So some big names coming up towards the latter end of the week. I think these are all like Thursday, Friday, right? I didn't see Pepsi and Delta and Progressive. Is that right, by the way? Yeah, yeah. So you've got, here's my list. So you got WD-40 after the close on Monday. Very insignificant, but everybody knows WD-40. And then, yeah, you got Delta before that open on Thursday. Airlines never interest me. They've been terrible stocks since they've come public. Never, never even crossed my mind to buy one. Pepsi, I'd love to see their comments on like inflation in their space because, you know, they're, they're handy. Oh, in Celsius, that dude. That's your stock. Yeah. They're going to buy them. I, I mean, so back when Pepsi bought Rockstar Energy for, let's see, Pepsi buys Rockstar. I remember when this happened. 
They spent, I think, three billion, three point eight five billion dollars, and this was back in March 2020. And I said at the time they could have spent, you know, five hundred million and bought a far superior brand in Celsius. Now the problem is, if they try to buy Celsius now, they'd have to spend like fifteen billion. And then Pepsi ended up investing in Celsius, and they spent more than they could have acquired it for back. Don't they then. usually do that to like see their finances, see where they're at and everything? Yeah, yeah. So that that was the thing. It's just like they should have been more forward looking. And why buy a dying brand when you could buy a brand with, you know, significant potential? But not, almost no one knew about Celsius even in March 2020. It, it was May 2020 that it started taking off. And then, you know, FinTwit finally found it. But, you know, the rest is history there. But Pepsi does always give like a good look into, you know, the supply chain, overall inflation. They usually have some good commentary. Um, and then you've got, yeah, the, the slew of banks coming. JP Morgan, City, Wells Fargo, State Street, BlackRock. So, yeah, this is, it's a weird time. You know, banks should be doing very well in these high interest rate environments because they can charge more for things. But then they have a lower volume of those things because people don't want it at such inflated levels. And then, you know, you had these banks failing because they had all these low rate treasuries on their balance sheet that were then like losing money. So it's a real give and take as to what goes on there. But I think if, if I, if I had to own a traditional, you know, large bank, it would be JP Morgan because they've continued to deliver on every front. But it's just one of those where you want to see what they say. But the biggest takeaway is that this is the true kickoff of earnings season next Friday because the big banks come and then usually within two weeks, you get Netflix and Tesla and then all the big boys start rolling out. And then the start of SaaS slash platforms as a service. Forget kicks on up. folks. This is where it gets fun. Yep. The, so the, yeah. the what I call like the, the most fun is once ServiceNow reports because they're usually the first of the big SaaS slash pass plays that come out. So I think they're due July 25th or 26th. I want to say the 26th. And that's the true start where things get real fun. But yeah, it's happening. Coming. All right, guys, we're going to do it a little differently. We always give one person the microphone for their last thoughts, but each and every one of us will give a quick last thoughts. We're going to start with Joey and then we're going to go to Shy. I need a little bit of time here to think of my last thoughts. But Joey, send us off real quick. I think... What I would do is, you know, almost echo what I say quite a bit is, you know, we've had a great run in this market, but, you know, you've had a lot of stocks that have absolutely surged since January, even since the October lows. So, you know, I would take this weekend to reevaluate each of your positions, each of your holdings, see if some of these stocks have kind of bounced back too quick or if the valuations are getting ahead of themselves. Constantly reevaluate and think if you feel like some of these have run too much, if doing some trimming and repositioning with some names that haven't participated in the rally or have more attractive valuations, that's what I've been doing even this past week. Maybe next week we can even talk about some moves that I've made since you know I don't like to talk my book too soon after actually making moves. But you know, I'm constantly looking as, you know, this might be ahead of itself. I might want to trim and shift this money over here because this stock is undervalued or has a product suite that I love and I feel like hasn't participated in the rally as much and, you know, it's forgotten. So that's that's what I would leave you at. Reevaluate all your positions and see if you might need to do some repositioning next week. Shy, any last thoughts? Yeah, I didn't make any moves this week, shortened week, so I could talk, but I did last week. Definitely raised a decent-sized cash position during earnings season. I have like a 5% cash I think we're going to be sideways till Wall Street gets a better understanding of 
on the state of the economy after the earnings. I cannot wait. I think big tech's reporting in two weeks. So once my top plays, such as Snowflake, CrowdStrike, Unity, MongoDB, all of them report, hoping I have some ammo to add to my highest convicted plays. That's what I'm looking forward to in the earnings season. But we're in a great spot. And I know this time last summer, I think everyone's hair was on fire. So all about perspective. Everyone should be extremely happy with where we are at with economy and stock market. Absolutely love it, Shai. So my final thoughts here, cautious optimism. I think I've said this almost every episode, but that's my new mindset when it comes to trading, when it comes to investing. So with that being said, founders, go outside, enjoy yourself, listen to our podcast on repeat. Make sure to give us a follow on Twitter, subscribe to our email list on poundingthetablepodcast.com. That wraps up this week. We will be back next week for another edition of Pounding the Table. Climb the mountain till I need a few accountants. Stock is rising, perfect timing. I'm in.